This is CliffCentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, all right, all right. The Bounce Show is back, live in the studio. Uh, I feel like I've been away for quite a while. I guess it maybe was a week, two weeks. I don't know. I'm not keeping count. Winter is done. Done, done, done. Yeah. Very excited about that because now we can start playing golf without having like 27 layers of clothing. It's not going to be so horrible on the hands. And of course, well, summer's a sexy time of year. We get to all just kind of have more time outside. It's really, really exciting. And the sport, well, it never, it never changes. It's a year-round thing and uh, so much to look forward to. So this week, we're in a bit of a catch-up. And the big thing this week is we're going to have a massive drone chat. As you know, I, I love drones. I have a drone. Well, I have a, I have a broken drone currently. It's being fixed. That's a long process. It's a show in itself. So I, um, I've been, yeah, I mean, look, the moment you fly a drone, you, you are a drone person. That's just what it is, unfortunately. Whether you like it or not, you become hooked instantly. So it's only about, only a matter of time until we actually do the proper drone show. So I'm going to be chatting to a guy called Alan Ball today. Now, he started his own company. He just loved fixing things, taking things apart, putting things together. And there was this fascinating article in uh, Forbes Africa recently about him. Now, Alan flies drones. He builds drones. He's now got a business called The Flying Robot, which he started by himself, like one of those great from the garage upwards kind of stories. Now, Alan was just so frustrated about the fact that it took forever for parts to come from overseas, something that I can definitely echo right now as I wait for parts to my drone. This is why I haven't had it for a month. So he thought, well, screw it. I'm just going to start building my own drones. I'm going to start doing my own stuff. And of course, with that, he has the most incredible amount of knowledge around drones, the way the world is going around drones. So I'm going to ask him just so much stuff. That'll be around sort of 1030 if you're listening live. Uh, if you're listening to a podcast, well, probably in about 20 or so minutes time. But before we get into our chat with Alan, there is a lot of sport to catch up on. This was past weekend. Well, it was the farewell of Usain Bolt. It was his final race. Uh, I mean, like for me, like I don't have sporting heroes. I don't have like role models that people I look up to because I believe you should be that in yourself in life. I don't know if that sounds cliche or motivational. Take your pick. But when you start looking up to people, you put them on unnecessarily high pedestals where they can only fail. So for me, to be completely enamored by an, an individual, which I think is the right word for Usain Bolt. I mean, I, I just love everything about this guy in sports. I think he's an amazing character. He's done so much for sport. Forget about athletics. He has done so much that he, he has to be regarded as the greatest in so many different ways. Like People will debate, like, debate this and say, well, you know, he ran one kind of race, blah, blah, blah. The guy was incredible. Uh, one of my best sort of comments about Bolt when people were saying he's not the greatest Olympian of all time, they say Michael Bolt, uh, Michael Bolt, <laughs> Michael Phelps, many people say he's the greatest Olympian of all time because of the medals, to which someone said, well, if there was a race where Bolt had to jump around on one leg backwards, he'd win that one as well. You can't make comparisons, but if you look at actual figures in sport, there is no one greater than Usain Bolt. Um, and unfortunately, this past weekend was his official going away, really. It was the IAAF World Champs, where, I might add, South Africa finished third overall in the medals tables. Yep, our track and field stars, we have everything here to become like, a real force. And this is a kind of uh, early early feature of that. Anyway, that's not for now. Usain Bolt, he ran the 100 and he finished third. Very, very sad there. He finished third behind the two Americans, Gatlin and Coleman. And then when it got to the relay, this is going to be his big finale, right? The big thing is the end of the game, it's the end of his career. And, well, the Jamaican team generally always wins with him. And the Jamaican team did whatever they could to have the best possible team there. Johan Blake's form's not great. Um, they got the 110 meter uh, hurdles champion, he came in involved. I think he ran the first leg. Anyway, the team wasn't what it could be, but still, as long as they gave Bolt half a chance, you'd always know that he could bring it home on the final stretch. Well, unfortunately, when it got to the final stretch, stretch is maybe the wrong word. And the Jamaicans coming through now. It's a brilliant bend by Great Britain. 
the Jamaicans have some work to do. So too the Americans, Britain, Jamaica, and the United States. And look at this. Got Mitchell Blake. It's Great Britain. Great Britain. Yes. I can't believe it. Great Britain have taken the gold medal. Usain Bolt is limping down the track. It hasn't ended as he would have liked. Yeah, his, his hamstring was about all that was stretching at this moment in time. So he landed up in a heap. Great Britain gone to take a famous, famous victory. What a race that was. It really was. Because these guys have never won this thing. Um, so they beat America. Usain Bolt on his back. Wheelchair then came out. Just the exact opposite of what you want to see for such a great man at the end of his career. Now, Johan Blake actually went on record and said, look, this is because of the weight prior to this that Bolt's leg seized on him. So, you know, like England doesn't really have a summer. They just have days that are less cold than winter days. So to go out there and I mean, I know this from my, my current sprint challenge that when you warm up for sprinting, you're about to undertake a high intensity activity, right? You can't just stand around. Your muscles need to be warm. You're a human race car, for instance. So he stood out there. There's a long walk to get to where he was. They're waiting 10 minutes longer than they should have because of some overrun, uh, overrun medal ceremony. So he got there. He was on in great shape. And uh, yeah, his legs seized up. And that was it. So the worst possible end for the greatest that sport has ever seen. Um, I know Bolt will not be making excuses around that. He'll obviously mention it. But he's such an amazing champion that you know he'll take us in his stride and say, oh, well, it wasn't meant to be. So that was the that was the end of his career. That's it. He's now retired. And look, I still believe that his records won't be eclipsed in our lifetime. 958 in the 100 meters, 1919 in the 200 meters. And of course, the dominance of going to three Olympics and winning all three occasions. Beijing, London, Rio. If anyone can do this, well, I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime. I purely do not think it's going to happen. Because one thing when you're extremely talented, okay, and there's another thing when you're extremely gifted, but there's also the work ethic. Bolt was those first two things, but the third thing as well, there was the work ethic like no other. And I really must I say, you have to watch the documentary, I Am Bolt. If you ever want to understand why people make a big deal about Bolt or why I go on about Bolt so much, you watch the documentary and you get a fair idea. He he really is. He's just something so special. And, well, if there's anybody more special than Bolt in our lifetime, it's going to be quite something to see that. So that was that. Carla Semenya obviously blew a run away in 800 meters. That is her race. That is her thing. Katie Hopkins, who just someone from England who doesn't mind, you know, just says whatever she wants and she takes on a whole bunch of issues. And I gotta say, sometimes I agree with her, not that I know too much about her. And sometimes I don't. I don't really take it personally because, you know, have your opinion. Go ahead. That's what life's about. But she did take a lot on with this whole caster thing, mostly because, as I said last week, it's like the IWF deem it legal for her to run. All she wants to do is run. You marry those two realities together, you get Casa Semenya winning gold in 800 meters, okay? Again, she's worked hard for that. That's all she wants to do. I don't have a problem with that. If we have social problems around this or we have some sort of other prejudice around this, I think that time has gone. Again, going back, have your opinion. Do whatever you want. But let's stop giving this woman such a hard time. Costa has had to endure so much. There's this really great documentary going on on Supersport at the moment, currently looping around uh, most days. Now, Ali Baka has this conversation with Costa Semenya, and his interview style is very good. Ali, with his sort of stern face, he does get into every issue possible. And he asks Costa all the questions that possibly anybody would be curious about. And to this woman's credit, she her attitude is, you know what? I haven't chosen to be who I am. I am who I am. I think I'm a gift of God. You know, she's very religious, so she still appreciates who she is, and she doesn't want to change that for the world. And all she wants to do is just be the best that she can be and do whatever she wants to do. And she is, you know how strong of will you've got to be to think that she was young, going to Europe or going overseas to go and compete, just culturally coming from South Africa, never travel overseas, now go over there and face the scrutiny of an international media, to then go on and she have to perform on a track and do all these different things while everybody is looking at you different. Everybody is saying things behind your back. That just shows what amazing resolve she has and what an amazing champion she she is. So I don't want to go into this in any long sort of way. I just believe she deserves everything that she gets in life and uh, all this scrutiny and all this backlash towards things. Firstly, it's done. And secondly, like, what do you want her to do? Like, really? So Katie Hopkins... Keep your opinions flying about a variety of things, but I reckon you're all kind of off the mark with this whole caster thing. Right. 
Wow, didn't mean to go so in depth in that. But uh football season has started and it started with well, it, like does it does it really end? There's teams always chasing the big money off season by playing in places that don't really care about football, like Asia and and America. Well of course they care, but I mean it's not on the same level as say Europe or Africa where people will die for this stuff. So South America as well. Um so all the big teams have been playing for quite some time. Obviously the big transfer news is all the things that happen during the summer months in Europe. Neymar's transfer, the biggest thing of all. There are some other transfers that have gone through, some pretty actual substantial ones, but because they've paled into insignificance with Neymar's cost, uh, people just thought, oh, whatever, that guy's gone here, that guy's gone there. But uh, Real Madrid, they beat Barcelona in the uh, Spanish Super Cup. So it's basically, uh, I know it's early in the season, you can't draw too much into it, but it really does set the tone because over two matches, Real Madrid won with a 5-1 aggregate. And to think... Ronaldo wasn't even allowed to play in the second leg, which they won 2-0 last night. I think Real, people keep saying, well, they can't be so great forever. Well, I'll tell you what, Zinedine Zidane, if you look at his recent uh, results, this is a guy who last year was his first kind of real chance to bet himself in with a, with a long season for, for Real, and he ended up winning everything. So now, on current form, the guy's only going to get better and more comfortable in his job. The players are going to understand him more, and they're this good already. Well, you think Barcelona, by losing Neymar, people will go, oh, well, they've still got Suarez, they've still got uh, Messi, but still it is an axis. That MSN, that was the whole thing. It was three of them that were so great up front. And Barcelona, even with that, they couldn't make the Champions League final. They've been buying out of the Champions League far too early for the last few years. And now you take away one of those cogs that was one of their good units, I think they're going to struggle. I really do. Whereas Real will get stronger. If you're into the English football, well, that started with a bang. Uh, 4-3, Arsenal beating Leicester. Now, uh, Arsenal just can never take the easy run through. And if you look at that Leicester team on paper, it's pretty average. Uh, I mean, like we all know that Leicester team has kind of been gutted like a department store during a sale. So all the sort of, you know, all the momentum they had from winning the league and a couple of key players are gone. And uh, I just think that, you know, there was that one season where everything clicked and all the other teams played kind of badly. So Leicester are, again, back to being a mid-table team at best. And Arsenal, well, they made them look pretty good. Eventually, they got the, the win of 4-3, first win at home. Didn't go so well for Liverpool. They drew. Uh, again, Liverpool and Arsenal have got very similar problems this year. And if you're a fan of either, I'm sure you'll agree with me. Dodgy defense. These guys, when the ball comes in into the box, they're not always where they should be. Their teams know they can always score against them. It's just a matter of time if they keep applying pressure. So no matter what they do in attack, when it comes down to the big matches, the big crunch games later on in the season where things are really at stake, I just can't see either of those teams. Top four, maybe. Definitely not title contenders. You would think Chelsea are going to be the strong defenders. Well, they lost to Burnley first up 3-2. Two yellow, sorry, two red cards for Chelsea. Obviously blighting the opening day there for Conti and his team. But this is what happened with Jose, didn't it? He won the league next time round. Uh, terrible season. So maybe a second, you know, the second season is always the difficult thing. If you go back into rugby, look at Jake White when he came on the scene for the box. So good in that first season. Second season, people know more about you. They know more about your ways and your tactics and it's difficult. So Chelsea not looking so great. Man City, well, they got off to a decent start with a good win, but Man United's big win first up. 4-0 over West Ham. That was a big deal. Lukaku scored twice, so their fans are going to be over the moon about that. Spurs also with a good win straight up. They beat Newcastle. And uh, Newcastle, of course, they're, well, they're not newcomers. They're back in the league after one season of going down. But Spurs taking the momentum from last season and uh, 2-0 winners. So we'll obviously get into that as we go through the, the course of the season. Uh, you know, it's early days. Obviously, the transfers are still kind of kicking in. So teams are just trying to find their way. I know it sounds like a terrible cliche, but that's exactly what's happening. I think um, Everton, uh, now with Rooney back, that was a big emotional moment because Rooney actually scored on his first game back and uh, led Everton to a good win there. Everton have got a really tough, tough, tough opening five games, so it'll be interesting to see how they do with that. So that's pretty much it for that football. Local football, of course, the MTN 8s kicked off, well, last weekend. So obviously the top eight teams from last season in the PSL, they play off in that tournament. Sundown's already out, though. Fitz, they managed to fight their way through, literally fight their way through. There were red cards, night matches, there were concussions, and there were penalties. But into the actual Absa Premiership, that starts this weekend, and the one the one big game to look out for is, is the opening match. It will be Cape Town City 
versus Vitz, who are the defending champions. So the thing about Cape Town City is that obviously they had a great season last year. Their first time out as, as a team in general, really, they, um, they were like black aces. They were then bought and then became Cape Town City. And they did pretty well. I think they definitely punched above their weight. They had a decent sort of basis to work from. But as a new team, a new city like that, it does still take a lot to do to get to where they were. And a lot to do with uh, Tinkler, their manager. Tinkler has now moved on, though. He said, well, I'm going to see Sport United. Maybe he's getting more money. Maybe he just didn't want to live in Cape Town because they have no water and you can't take a decent shower. Whatever his reasoning, he's not there. Benny McCarthy's in. That's the new, new sort of change. It's his first time he's ever coaching. Cape Town City taking a massive gamble on Benny to do wonders down there. But this is what you want to see in sport. You want to see teams being bold. And also, we look at development, and as far as utilizing talent, you want to see players giving back. And if they can do it in a coaching position, fantastic. They've got all these lessons they can impart in younger talent and then develop the talent to come through, obviously, ultimately reach the high levels. So that's what you could look out for this weekend in the PSL. Golf-wise, well, it was the US PGA Championships last week, and it it was kind of boring for the first three days. Fourth day, I mean, the golf course was just so difficult. Guys were hitting really great shots, and they were sort of just falling off the green. There were just slopes and swales taking the balls away from places you wanted to be in. Eventually, Justin Thomas came through, though. That final day was really cool. Uh, Ricky Fowler made a bit of a run earlier on, but he just dropped way too many shots in bad places earlier in the tournament. He finished five under. He set a bit of a target, but Justin Thomas behind, he just, he was just so good. He's so good in pressure situations. He finished an eight under. He eventually won by two. Hideki Matsuyama came so close again, but I think putting wise for the week, he was like 49th or something really, really bad. You've got to putt well to win majors. Kevin Kistner came close. He was looking great for three rounds, went backwards in the fourth round. So, again, it was another great major and, again, another exciting talent coming through. Now, when we look at Justin Thomas. Obviously, he is friends with Jordan Spieth, friends with Ricky Fowler, those guys, and the whole spring break crew. They get a lot of attention. But if you look, they're all three of them in the top ten of the world. It's one thing about going out there and um, people make a big hype around players because of maybe they're more marketable than the others. But these guys are the real deal. They're living they're living a good life. They're young guys having the time of their life, but they're also bloody good at what they do. So Thomas, with that win, this is fourth of the season, I think it is. He won three at the start of the season. And it's actually no big surprise. I know he's 24, and to win a major at 24 is a really big deal. Just lost Sergio. He won after like under an hour of many attempts. But at 24, his junior career was fantastic. There is this really great podcast from uh, the No Laying Up guys. We look out for a good podcast around this. And Jordan Spieth's trajectory as a youngster and Justin Thomas, they were, you know, you couldn't choose much between the two of them. If anything, Justin Thomas might have actually been the, the, the brighter prospect. Jordan Spieth now has three majors. Justin Thomas now has one. This is going to be amazing to plot the careers of these two. And golf is in a really great place. Uh, it just really, really is. Speaking of golf, Gary Player, well, he got stuck in this week. Yeah, wow. He had this great interview with a guy called Graham Bensinger. Now, Graham is a guy who I watch a lot of stuff on on YouTube. He does a lot of golfing interviews where he just has this ability of just, pardon the pun, tee guys up so well. Now, the key of a good interview, uh, maybe you don't always get that from me because I waffle a lot, but the key of a good interview is basically just to arrange a story to come out of someone. And you do this by just prompting them in certain areas and ultimately giving the position where they feel comfortable to just have, just let loose. Now you can basically say hi and Gary will let loose on his whole gospel. But this whole thing, I'll, I'll play some clips later. We haven't got enough time to play it now. I'll play it after we chat to Alan. Gary unleashes everything. Everything is in his head. Graham just gets it out. And I put a blog post together on this. If you go into the bounce of there's an entire blog post just of Gary being Gary. I mean, we've got everything in there. And I'll play a couple of clips just towards the end of the show. But before we get to Alan, we've got to talk, obviously, about the rugby. We've got to talk about the cricket. Rugby championship starts this weekend. The box will be playing Argentina in Port Elizabeth. And you've got to think, you know, very much favorites for this match. They've had a good year so far. There's a whole new vibe in this camp. We touched upon it in the French series. This isn't the box of 2016. It's a very, very different side. And although Warren Whiteley is out of the rest of the tournament, unfortunately, he just, he had that groin injury from the French series, had to then set up the rest of Super Rugby, didn't even get to play in the final where he deserved to be. Anyway, he's gone. Franz Malherbe also gone for the rest of the tournament. He has a neck injury, which needs an operation. So although we lost a couple of players, team is still looking really, really strong. 
Ibn Ezebeth will retain the captaincy, which he had in the last match where Whiteley sat out. So it's all looking pretty good. But you always got to think, well, that's all good and well. A win against Argentina, fantastic. A win against Australia, yeah, great. Both those sides, both those sides aren't really great right now. Argentina aren't really kicking on and Australia are definitely going backwards. The team to beat is obviously New Zealand. Will anyone be good enough to beat them? Well, obviously no. Obviously no. That team, even though it had a bit of a slip up against the British and Irish Lions, I think they'll be even stronger because of that slip up against the Lions. I think they learned a lot about what they, they need to do going forward because you can't just keep being relentlessly amazing. There needs to be so generations. There needs to be a couple of ebbs and flows. Now, you won't get too many ebbs with the New Zealanders, but they need to work on their flow now, how they can replace key players, how they can keep the belief up, how they can keep the motivation up. And I think that that series definitely gave them a slap they needed. They'll take on Australia for the first match of the weekend, started the Bledisloe Cup as well. Uh, but it's looking like a 20-point ball game there. It really is. Even though it is being played in Australia, and every now and again, the Aussies do kind of surprise New Zealand there. They've either drawn or they've had the odd win from time to time. Can't see it happening. So much so, the big story around um, that whole fixture this weekend is Aaron Smith and his sexual antics. Now, I remember he was caught in the bogs with um, with a girl that wasn't his girlfriend. Anyway, that girl, that story is a non-event. I mean, he's a rugby player. What do you expect? He's going to put the wood to whatever he can. That's how sportsmen obviously work when they're traveling. I'm not judging. I'm not saying I'd be any different in their position. But what's come out this week is that all the text messages between this girl who, as people keep saying, was not Aaron Smith's girlfriend are not coming out. So how they met. I mean, we're going back 2014. These text messages have come out, right? Daily Mail, obviously, gutter journalism is absolute best. They have revealed all of this, so much so the Daily Mail's um, Australian correspondent wasn't allowed into the press conference this week around, around this test. But the most damning thing here is just Aaron Smith's spelling and grammar. He's done not, this guy has not committed any crimes. He had sex with a woman consensually in a public place. That I mean, That's also, that's not really breaking the law, is it? He cheated on his girlfriend. Wow. 17,000 million, 150 bajillion people do this in the, all, all day, every day. This is human nature. But this guy's being rolled over so hard here. And obviously the, the publication paid this woman a fair amount of money to release these text messages. But there are so many. It's such a cheap trick. Like it's such a non-story. I, I should probably shouldn't be talking about such a non-story. And like I said, the only crime here is just his inability to to function as an adult, spelling grammar-wise. You can't hold that against the guy. His main job in life is playing rugby. So that's pretty much a synopsis of what rugby's, what's going on in rugby right now. Of course, the Curry Cup's also going on. Greg was at beat the Cheetahs, which is a big surprise, but yeah, Curry Cup. In cricket, it looks like Otis Gibson will officially be the new Proteus coach. Uh, Otis is busy with the English team still, so he is the bowling coach for that team. Previously with the West Indies in the coaching capacity as well. People say he might be a bit light expertise-wise. He might be a bit light. Um, I don't know. People come up with a lot of theories, but I think if it's a man with good ideas, then I think he's good for the job because he'll ultimately have support players around him as well. He'll obviously be working along with the team captain. So I don't think we can draw too much into his his resume, so to speak. I reckon he's the right man for the job because South Africa needs a shake-up. They need a whole bunch of new ideas and they need some new impetus. And I think a man like Otis, who has played domestically in South Africa before, I think he played for Border or he played for Gauteng. Anyway, he, he, he spent some time here. Decent cricketer in his own regard. He has been coaching the last few years, but he'll only be available from mid-September. So that is where the current England versus West Indies series, which starts today actually, 17th of August, that kicks off with a day-night test at Edgebaston. Not really any, any merits in talking about that because obviously West Indies are a shadow of their former, former, former selves. They may be good for a draw here and there, but they're not exactly a great test team. And England right now, a huge amount of confidence. They'll definitely roll them over. Big what, One one change from the English team is that Jennings goes out. They need to strengthen the batting order, so they brought in Stoneman. Uh, he'll be there. That's all they got to change in that team. But like, yeah, like I was saying for Otis, so basically he arrives back, and uh, first test he'll be in charge will be a few weeks later, SA versus Bangladesh. Again, we played in Potchefstroom. And it's kind of cool for the Proteus because it's been a terrible year for them. It really has. 
what they're going to do player-wise, what they're going to sort out the dynamic of the test team. I'm not entirely sure. The ODI team, well, I think with them, it's always in the head. So maybe Otis can just talk his way out of that one. But uh, the, the test team, it definitely needs to be rejigged personnel-wise. Will Dell Stan be back? Who knows? Will Morkel take a call pack? Will Umla take a call pack? There's a whole bunch of stuff going on here. So Otis definitely has a work cut out for him. And uh, there'll be an article I'll share with you soon about the fact that Otis is basically set up for failure. It's not me being negative. I basically write about how there's so many different factors going against this guy. Um, not personally, of course. Just whoever whoever's going to coach the Proteus from here next couple of years, they've got the toughest job in coach in cricket coaching. I mean, forget about Pakistan. I reckon the next Proteus coach is the toughest job anybody can take in the sport. Simple as that. Well, I've talked myself relatively hoarse. Uh, Jane, sorry, I haven't got your microphone. Is Ellen ready on the Skype? Sorry. Wait, hang on a second, Jane. Now, I, when I came in here, I didn't have the mics set up in the proper way. So, producer. Jane, hi. Hi, Ben. How are you doing today? Good, and you? Yeah. I'm alright, Jane. A bit mm-hmm. tired, huh? I was up late last night, last night trying to make another new video for my YouTube channel. What I do. Uh, is Alan on Skype? Yeah, he is. Okay. Thank He's you. He's waiting Jane. for you just to say hi, Alan. Have you had him on for a while? Mm hmm. How long? No, just now, actually. Okay, cool. All right. Jane, thank you. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> All right, we've got Alan on Skype. Alan. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Yeah, great, man. Fantastic. Nice clear line. Thanks for giving up your time today to chat about drones. Um, I don't know if you heard much about the intro, but basically I was getting into the fact that I've now become a drone enthusiast. Uh, I, I'm obsessed with the things. I'm obsessed with what you can do with drones. And I think I am one of many people who are getting onto this new wave as far as drones being the future of not just recreational stuff, but maybe along the lines of where we're going in life. Now, I won't get too heavy into that, just to start off, um, just for the listeners to kind of get your background as far as drone is concerned. I mentioned the fact that there was that great article in Forbes Africa, but uh, how is it that, I mean, have you always been interested in flights? Have you always been interested in gadgets? I mean, like, w- where did it all start for you? Um, yeah, it really started when I was when I was really small. I just always had this fascination with flight. And um, actually, during high school at Weinberg Boys, I... Uh, I decided that I wanted to start doing flying for real. I, I had done some some radio control flying at, in like sort of early standard six, and and wanted to actually go for it for real. And, and saved up some cash and started flying gliders in Worcester, full size gliders, and did my glider pilot's license by the age of seventeen. And then after school, I went on to do my private pilot's license uh, in Stellenbosch. So. Um, the idea was always to go to sort of a commercial pilot, but that that never really happened. Just purely because of cost. Yeah. Um, went on to study marketing and go to AAA. And then, uh, yeah, did, did a bit of a career in advertising and, and online marketing. And then uh, that sort of drove me to, to NASPASS, where I met a developer uh, at NASPASS who introduced me to drones and, and something called FPV, first-person view. Okay. And, and what, what year was that? Uh, that was seven years ago, okay. seven or eight years ago. Yeah. So, so like the drone world about seven years ago, I mean, obviously the word's been around a bit, so it's been used in military kind of technology. Well, what was the current yeah. state of just like being able to buy a drone seven years ago? It, it was very different. Um, just the technology alone, we were basically hacking up helicopter gyros, so RC helicopter gyros, and then etching our own circuit boards and making up our own flight controllers using three gyros to give to give the stabilization to the to the drone. Um, that's when I sort of first started, and luckily that was just happening. And then uh, one of the manufacturers came out with the first sort of produced flight controller made for for multi rotors and for for multi copters. Um, and the, I bought that off the shelf, and it was one of the first. It was known as a KK two board or KK board. Yeah, and um, yeah, and then, you know, everything we bought, uh, in that sort of first initial phase was, was all bought from different stores from around the world. And we were hacking CCTV cameras and, uh, old school video transmission systems to, to do it. See, and I, I find this fascinating because mostly I'm terrible with my hands and mechanical stuff. I, I, I mean, I can barely build a sandwich. So 
But like back then, it must have been so interesting. Like, where did you get? Like, how did you get the guidance, or how did you get the know-how into make these things? Was there quite a lot of stuff online back then, or was it very much just like yes. a trial and error kind of? Let's see what this does. It, it was a bit of trial and error, but it also was that there was like a, a good. I mean, there still is a very big community behind it, and it's a good sharing open source community. Where, I mean, you got a lot of guys in sort of development and coding doing it, and they they share that same ethos of open source and and the guys share all their problems and and how they fixed it because they they know other guys are gonna have that same problem and they share how they that that sort of solution so um it was a lot of trawling on forums and and like trying to find guys with similar problems um and then youtube came along and and youtube for us was the the holy grail uh there were guys sharing one great content um, you know, guys taking flying wings and, and almost soaring down mountains, uh, guys called Team Black Sheep in the Alps. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was amazing. And then they, they flew in New York City as well and got into some trouble. But, um, and then there were guys just doing the troubleshooting. Like, oh, if you're having this problem, here's your solution and a full video on how to fix it. Yeah, I'd love to know what the sort of percentages of tutorials versus other videos on YouTube because like, you can type in anything and there's just an endless array of people telling you how to do stuff. It's, it's really fantastic. So how did yeah. you, like, mentally or just career-wise, how did you get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm good at this, I can build this, uh, there's a gap in the market, but how do you go from there, from like, okay, going, well, maybe I should start my own thing because that's ex- essentially what you've done. How did your, yes. your business come about? So with Flying Robots, I was... I was basically building these drones and doing it as a hobby, but I was getting very frustrated with trying to find parts locally. And then the cost of parts locally was just exorbitant compared to what we were seeing overseas. And I saw how much money I was spending and my friends were spending. And I was like, well, you know, one, I'd like to make this easier for everyone so that they can get the same price. And it's dollar price plus VAT in South Africa because there's no duties on, on sort of hobby parts. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, a lot of the hobby stores I was dealing with just weren't doing it right in the local sense. And I thought, well, let's let's see if I can do this. And I found a couple of, you know, key um, partners overseas and factories that manufacture all the goods and, and brought them in and uh, started a little online store. And we were doubling growth and doubling doubling revenue every month for the first six months. It was, and I was working full time. So it was pretty much work during the day answer a few emails if I can and have a, have a spare time to, for the, for the store and then come home at night and pack every single order in my garage and then, uh, get, get them to ship it off the next day. Luckily my wife was, was at home on, on maternity leave so she could hand it over to the courier. That's fantastic. What a cool story. Huh? Now <laughs> I, I like, it, it makes sense to me because I, so I've got a Mavic Pro. I, I love the thing so much because I want to be able, like, I just say in my line of work, um, I've been writing for, ugh, I don't know, let's just call it properly for seven years. 2010 World Cup is when uh, career wise, I started just writing flat out. That's all I did. And, uh, writing's cool, but nobody reads anymore. So, you know, you're going to put a great thousand word piece together. If someone's got to like word 200 without being distracted by a banner elsewhere, it's, uh, so I, I realized I've got to start making video content. And the only way I was ever going to make it and get started in that is if I had a drone, because then I'd have to invest in myself and obviously invest in this process. So I got this drone and it's been great. I've been filming golf courses. I've got a project in the go right now. I'm filming this golf course and I, I thought I was becoming pretty good with it. Uh, I was flying around, I was getting some great images, and then out of nowhere, it flew into a tree. It was, oh. it was so embarrassing. Uh, obviously, I, I, I hide nothing. I made a video about how embarrassing it was. I got the last, like, footage of the thing hitting a tree. Um, and that was a month ago, and I've been waiting for parts, and I've had no drone for over a month. Um, fingers crossed by tomorrow, I think I get it. I get back in the air. So I totally understand, great. totally understand where you're coming from. Now, just as far as, like, People are getting drones. They are crashing drones. Now, your one thing about it is obviously you're a qualified pilot. You've got through all the processes. You understand flying. We'll get into it in a bit how you actually do fly proper racing drones. But now, drones are all fantastic and they're all very good and all that kind of stuff. And people like you can distribute and supply people whatever they need. But there's a lot more that goes into the flying of things. Now, one of the big things is you have to have a, 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 you generally have to have a license to legally do all this kind of stuff. Now, how essential is getting this license? Um, just basically give me a rundown of like the dangers involved that people need to know about. And if they are to pursue this license, how easy is it to come by? 
and what are the kind of things that the law at the moment stipulates that you should know about droning? So there's two sides to it. There's the hobby side, which we're very involved in, and that's there's two ways to fly in the hobby. You can fly in any park as long as you stay within the 50-meter rule. And the 50-meter rule is not higher than 50 meters, not 50 meters within a road, building, or people. So if you're in an open park and there's no one around, you're more than welcome to go fly there as long as you don't go higher than 50 meters. And that's safely fly. So um, then, then there's the, which, which the is actually sort of, fine. Like, cause from my experience, anything above 50 meters, you're not exactly getting great shots anyway. It's not really no, necessary. It's, it's perfect. It covers all the bases. So there's no license required for that. That's, you know, you can take your off the shelf Mavic Phantom uh, drone you buy and, and, and go fly and capture some great footage. The, the downside comes when guys want to try and take photos of their house and they're hovering over their house that their neighbor thinks they're spying on them and then it starts going into privacy. So the privacy laws also, you know, stipulate that you, you're not really allowed to go fly over somebody's house. And even if you're pointing the camera at your house, they don't know that. Um, and there are a couple of couple of stories online where even on a commercial aspect that they, they took photos of someone's house and the neighbor was tanning naked. And that ended up on a billboard that was out in Australia. So um, <laughs> almost got sued. Well, they did get sued for that. So. Yeah. Um, the privacy laws obviously come into effect, and that's why they've got the 50, the 50 meter within roads and, and houses. Roads is obviously you can distract traffic and you can cause an accident. Sure. So to try and stay away from busy roads and all that. So that's one of the major things. Um, See, now, this, then, this, this, this is a good thing, though, and this is why I wanted to ask you, because if you go online on, on YouTube, whatever, and you're watching like a Casey Neistat video and the guy is flying it like everywhere, <laughs> and everyone's like, wow, I've got to create cool content like this, and they're going to fly along highways, it's going to end badly. It is. And Casey's a really bad example. Um, in the States, their, their laws are a bit more um, uh, lax compared to ours. Yeah. They pay $150 fee and write a little test and they become a commercial pilot and can get paid. And, and some of the pilots that we follow on YouTube, like uh, Mr. Steele and a few other guys, are diving buildings in the central CBD of, of, of Atlanta, um, completely legal. Um, it's on a very dead day. They do it completely safely when like it's normally at one of the American public holidays. So the CBD is empty um, and they get permission from the buildings and they normally fly and, and dive these buildings at full speed. So uh, looks great. Creates some awesome footage. But now, um, as you said, like our legislation here in South Africa is, is well, some people say it's a bit anal actually. It's very, very strict. Is, is that, is, is that ever going to, is that ever going to change you think, or is that just basically we are like the world standard and we're going to proudly hang on to this? I, I hope I hope it does change because America did start out like that. They did have a very restrictive policy and, and, and a whole bunch of bureaucracy in place to to sort of, you know, companies have to do, do similar stuff that they do here. And unfortunately, our, our system sort of starts and then once it gets going, you can't really stop it or change it. And then change is very hard to do. Whereas on their side, they had pressure from, Google, Amazon, like all these massive companies with lots of budget that contribute to the bottom nice. line of the, the GDP for America, as well as, you know, in the back pockets of lots, lots of politicians, that, that helped steer their new legislation. Because obviously Amazon wants to try and deliver with drones. That's obviously one of their future roadmaps. Yeah. And for them to do that, they need to be able to be commercially able to do it. So... Um, that's where it helps them in that, in that sense. But, um, in South Africa, it's, it's been a bit more restrictive. They've, they've gone with always the harder line and the, the, um, the more restrictive line, which is, is safe, but it's not necessarily the best in terms of there is, there is other ways to do it still safely. So, yeah. okay. Um, so, so we've got the whole 50 meter rule. That's great. Now, if you do want to say go and fly more ambitiously, you want to kind of make some money out of this thing, you want to take it different places. Getting this license, I heard obviously it's, it's prohibitively expensive, which I think is a bad thing if you're an average flyer. It's a good thing if you want to be in the market because it's going to weed out your chances. But what exactly, does this, what exactly does this license do? I mean, how do you go about getting it? What's involved? All that kind of stuff. So so the, the licensing is all governed by the South African Civil Aviation Authority. So they're, they're an organization put in place to control airspace and commercial aviation in South Africa. Um, they obviously have set up an RPAS division, so it's a remote-operated uh, system um, division. 
So basically governing all the drones and the operators within South Africa that operate drones. Um, there are various different parts to the license. So the first main part, which a lot of people don't realize, is the ROC, which is a remote operating certificate. That isn't issued to an individual. It's issued to a company. And within that company, they need certain positions filled, like safety officer and a, a few other positions. Um and, and that actually is restrictive because now you have to have a certain number of staff on, you know, and that obviously costs. So you can't be a one-man show and do and do the drone thing. Mm. Um, then after that, so now you've got to hire a pilot under your ROC. Uh, that is an RPL or a pilot's license. And that also has costs involved and time. And it's a pretty similar course in terms of its um, book work to your PPL. Your private pilot's license. Wow. So, and that, that costs from a region of 20 to 30,000 rand, depending on the school and depending on the course and what it includes. Uh, cause you've got to do radio licenses and a whole bunch of medicals and, and other stuff that, that's on top of that, as well as actual tests, flying tests, you know, associated with that. Wow. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> that's all, but, and, and, and then even, even worse news for you is, is that, uh, the ROC, so let's just say if it was Cliff Central that wanted to to start flying drones, they would have to go through the registration process. Uh, on average, I'm seeing – so this, this law has been in effect for two years, and on average we've seen 18 companies registered with the CAA. Uh, could be a bit more now, but still, the, the run rate on that is, you know, now sitting at less than one one and a half every – Every two months or so. I mean, it's not really great. So if you were to get into the queue now, I estimate you might get your ROC in two or three years time, if not longer. That's outrageous. Okay. So, so, so people, people with drones listening to this right now would be thinking, okay, that sounds like a mission. That just sounds ridiculous. But if I crash my drone, I want to be able to insure it. Like, like what's the process around that? I mean, obviously you see people crashing drones in weirdest kind of ways and you're there to help out. Yes. So if I'm a, a drone person who might just happen to, you know, maybe clip a tree and now I've got this mm. wreck of a drone, it just costs a bit more than I maybe want to pay. Like what's the sort of insurance policy around there? Are, are people taking this on as a, as a client kind of thing or is it just, there's too much risk? I think, I think there's a lot of risk. Um, there, so the first insurance or underwriter that has taken it on is Hollard. They, they took on the commercial aspect of it and they've, they've sort of underwrite a lot of the, the current companies that are operating, um, legally as a commercial entity. Um, there are a couple of companies that are now looking at the hobbyists and, and, you know, insuring the hobbyists for their, you know, stuff just in case. Um, because it's it's mainly you know you know a lot of the flying is is obviously their fault and it's 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 tough because sure. the assessment of that and we've been approached about this in assessing the the circumstance on how the drone actually came to be a wreck <laughs> and was it pilot error or was it you know was it just the the machinery did it did it just go wrong um and and that is the hard part because they don't have anyone qualified to make that decision and say Yes, the drone failed, not the user failed. Yeah, I'm going to go with 99 to 1 there on, on <laughs> definite pilot error. <laughs> yeah, I'll back you on that. It's, we, we have lots of customers come in here. It landed in the pool. I'm like, well, why were you flying it in your back garden? Yeah. Or no, it hit the light in the lounge. Yeah, I guess because you're inside. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. Alan, uh, the racing. Now, the drone racing, if you know anything about this, you know there's some big money in this now. There's like teenagers traveling the world and doing amazing things. You've got a drone that yeah. flies 160 kilometers an hour. Is that correct? That's correct. That's, that's North insane. to 160 in a second. Okay. Uh, how big is this thing? Like if, if you were to maybe like compare um, it to like another sort of appliance around the house, how big is this 160 kilometers drone? So, Diagonal motor to motor, it's two hundred and twenty to two hundred and thirty centimeters. Okay. So it's not very big. I mean, uh, uh, what can I compare it to? Size of an A4 piece of paper, really, if you fold it in, in a square. So it's not very big at all. Um, they they run five inch props, um, and yeah, they're pushing each motor's pushing about one point three kilograms of thrust. So your power to weight, they weigh about six hundred grams. So your power to weight ratio is insane. That's amazing. And uh, so the, the guys who are, who are obviously flying for the big money and all these things around the world, would they be running similar kind of hardware? 
Yeah. So a lot of the guys are running, you know, very, I mean, all of us run pretty stock standard so hardware now. I mean, it's all, they're, they're getting sponsored by some of the bigger brands. Uh, you're now, for the first time, I think this year, we've now seen professional pilots come out of the woodwork that have quit their job and are actually competing and and flying full time for a salary, which is it's amazing to see that they're just scraping by. It's not like they're rich or making tons of cash, um, but it's great to see that guys are actually, you know, making a living of it. And, and, and when I say making a living, they are the top of their game and they're, they're competing on DRL, which is drone racing league mm-hmm. and, and broadcast on ESPN. Well, it makes sense. I mean, with e-gaming being what it is, I mean, guys are making money playing FIFA and like are. millions are, are watching people play, play games. This is, um, clip on south park uh with uh pewdiepie talking about how yeah. you know back in my day i used to play games now my my my, my younger brother's watching people play games so with this mm-hmm. whole with this whole drone thing not sorry the, the drone racing now that's uh, is there other sort of licensing involved there or once you're involved in a sort of secure location which is an official race does that not matter yeah so that I was getting into and alluding to the sort of hobby side, and, and the hobby side is governed by um, not the CAA. It's governed by the um, South African Model Aircraft Association, or right, SAMAR. Okay. Um, and we uh, have formed a SIG, a special interest group under SAMAR, which is called Fly FPVSA. You can go visit that at flyfpvsa.co.za. And we basically have all the rules, regulations, and stuff that govern sort of how – we run the uh, regional events and our national events in terms of racing. Um, you know, we've got representatives in each province, and it's their responsibility to try and stimulate and, and host race events. In the Western Cape, we try and run one at least, you know, once uh, every two months at least. Uh, they are happening in Kauteng all the time. Uh, if you check out the events calendar there, you'll be able to see where it is and when it is, and, and they're, at, they're always hosted at a lo- local um, hobby or flying club, so RC flying club. So okay. there's a couple in Pretoria, Joburg, and, and dotted around Cape Town as well. So now um, there's a big, yeah, there's a big one happening in Durban coming up in uh, end of this month, so beginning of September. Okay, now with this, you're using those virtual reality kind of goggles, right? Yes. So everything's everything's flown through what we call FPV, first person view. Um, there's a, a, a CCTV camera basically, which has been sort of kitted more towards the drone racing and drones. Um, that's connected to a video transmitter, which transmits a signal over uh, the 5.8 gigahertz band, and it's a specific channel that you, you dial into. And then you wear goggles, which has a screen in front of two eyes, in front of each eye. Um, those could be, you know, the smaller goggles have that, or you could have the bigger goggles, which has one big screen that you, you put over, almost like the VR goggles. Yeah. And... Um, and then that has a 5.8 receiver on the other end, so it receives your, your signal transmitted. And anyone with goggles can actually tune into that. So spectating, if you have a set oh, wow. of goggles, is, can be done that way. That's incredible. Now, just like getting away from the racing for a second, if you are flying just your ordinary drone stuff, would you say it's easier to control the drone, maybe even safer if you're flying with the goggles? Or does it take quite a bit of like getting used to? The, the gaming, so the gaming side of it and, and, you know, first person view gaming and, and all of that, the guys that have come through from gaming and doing first person view in a drone, it's actually much easier. Uh, the line of sight, which they call line of sight when you're just flying the drone as you see it without looking at a camera perspective is actually harder. Hmm. As soon as you, you face towards yourself, all your controls are reversed and it becomes a bit harder to control. Um, so the first person view gives everyone, everyone's sort of used to that because of, you know, growing up behind a, a game a gaming console right well you know i've got to look at these things because these trees are tricksy alan that's um, <laughs> pretty, pretty much out of nowhere. they do they really do these these blind spots <laughs> now I've, I've you know what something i've realized actually by watching videos and by watching other people's videos is that when you're doing any kind of drone footage and, and you can disagree or agree with me on this is that when you start out you've got these great ideas of how you want to get these shots and your drone's going to go here and there all you need to do is just basically get the thing in the air. Like the, the viewer's eyes will do the moving that needs to happen. Just get a good shot, get good lighting, get a nice overall perspective. Because flying sideways and taking curves and stuff, it just looks crap anyway. And it's just too much danger. <laughs> it's it's all about framing it and, and actually yeah. your composition of the of what you're filming is actually more key than how you do it. And, Spot on. Um, 
there are there are some things that guys are doing now with racing drones that are more cinematographic and that like look really amazing and then you wonder like oh it looks like he's in a phantom or a mavic and then all of a sudden it just dives down a building and you're like that's no mavic <laughs> <laughs> all right Alan, well where can people find more of you or more importantly get in touch with you with, with regards to whether it be drone racing whether it be to buying drones or just fixing them because you know these things happen so Twitter, Instagram, we're on Flying Robot FPV. Um, FlyingRobot.co.za is our is our website where we sell all the accessories and stuff. And if you want to get hold of us, it's just support at FlyingRobot.co. Um, yeah, there's the, you know lots of ways to get hold of us, and and we can put you in touch with the community in your area. That's the main thing we try and do is, is you know get guys on the WhatsApp groups or or any of the. We have a Facebook group which is just general. Uh, it's called FPV Racing South Africa. So if you go to Facebook FPV Racing South Africa, you'll find a large community of about two thousand guys there, all involved. Cool, Alan. Thank you so much for your time. I feel enlightened. I feel inspired, and I want to fly drones every day. More and more. Well, good luck. I hope your drone's fixed. Yeah, well, I just hope, yeah. <laughs> I'll Thanks, be, I'll be better. I'll, I'll be a better flyer from here on in. Thanks, Alan. So that pretty much wraps <laughs> up the show fine. today. But uh, as promised, I was going to give you just a bit of Gary Player. We're going to play out with some Gary Player tomorrow on the Gareth Cliff Show, cliffcentral.com, right here, the morning show. I'll be playing more out of Gary's amazing interview with Graham Bensinger. But I think just to play out for today, Let's hear Gary talk about how Tiger Woods taking lessons basically killed his career. Um, and Gary just elaborating in any way Gary can. The world of people of different colors, we need, we need a black man to be a champion. Will he accomplish and become the best golfer ever? Only the Lord knows. I don't know. He's got the ability, but will he? But would I love to sit down with him? for one hour and give him a piece of my knowledge. What would you and, say? No, I can't tell you what I'd say. Um, but then I think he could win majors. I wouldn't talk to him a lot about the swing. I would talk to him quite a bit about the swing because he's got flaws. There's a reason why he's not the same Tiger Woods anymore. There's a reason. And I reckon I could get those things across to him that would make a massive change in life because I've had so much experience, which will take him another 40, 50 years to, to get. So it'll take him at least another 50 years to get. And I've got this in the, in the bank. But you can't walk around volunteering, uh, volunteering to help everybody. What do you think of Rory McIlroy? He is a wonderful young man, a wonderful representative of golf, and the best golfer in the world. I can't speak highly enough about him. He's a terrific young guy. And uh, with the right thought process and training, He's got an opportunity. He's got an opportunity of going down as the best golfer that ever lived. I you think, really think so? Oh, he's got a very good chance. It's up to him now. It depends on the path that he, he goes on. And he's got a wonderful career. This is CliffCentral.com.